0: Welcome to episode 13 of Chasing Majors, the final episode of Series 1 with Tiger Woods as former caddy Steve Williams. In this episode, we'll go back in time to the 2008 US Open at the famous Torrey Pines Golf Course in Southern California. For many, this is one of the greatest accomplishments in all of sport, given Tiger battled through the severe pain of a damaged left tibia and a torn anterior cruciate ligament in his knee, which later required reconstructive surgery and nine months on the sidelines. After 72 holes playing on one of the most difficult golf courses in the United States, under US Open conditions no less, Tiger pushed the limits of his body and mind to force a playoff with colourful journeyman Rocco Mediate. Back then, US Open rules required an 18-hole playoff the next day, but that wasn't enough. Tiger and Rocco were still tied after 90 holes, and so they went to a 91st hole, or sudden death, where Tiger cemented his legacy by winning a third US Open and 14th major title. But Steve, we'll kick off episode 13 by talking about Torrey Pines, the golf course itself. It's one of the most famous public courses in America. It's a beautiful 36-hole golf course in La Jolla, which is just north of San Diego. But from the moment the United States Golf Association announced in 2004, I believe it was, that they were taking their US Open to Torrey Pines in 2008, Tiger was obsessed, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, it was a big move by the USGA to take a tournament to Southern California, particularly the US Open. I mean, as you know, um, Southern California haven't hosted um, too many major championships. I mean, LA's had the, um, at, at Riviera's had the PGA Championship where uh, Australian Steve Elkinson took his first major championship. But, yeah, when when the USGA announced that the US Open was going to play at Torrey Pines, Tiger had a fascination right from that time uh, through to the start of the tournament. And each year when we'd go and play at the Buick Invitational, or however it was named in January, one of the first events of the year, sometimes his first event of the year, he, he was just so intrigued. Like, Steve, where are they going to move the fairways? What tees are they going to add here? Where do you think the pins are going to be? How are they going to put the rough? He, he just, he was so fascinated by this tournament. Um, you know, it's one course that he'd watched pros play as a kid and, and, you know, he was a kid, he only lived up the road not far, and he, he watched a few tournaments there, and he played the course regularly in the World Junior Championship, and um, he just had a complete fascination. I, I was actually just, if you ask me what amazed me most about Tiger Woods, I mean, this, this thing, his fascination with winning or competing in the 2008 US Open, I couldn't comprehend that one guy could be so obsessed with an event. It was was mind boggling, even. I just, to this day, I can't quite get my head around what it was
0: about this event. Did you see him fixated on anything like this in your entire time with him? Absolutely not. I mean, he
1: was, you know, even when he had that opportunity to to win the Masters, to complete the what you know what what having four major championships and your trophy cabinet at the same time, four consecutive majors. Um, that, that rated nothing compared to what his fascination with this tournament was. It, was. it was really, really something very intriguing.
0: Well, Steve, the reason for that obsession was, I, I believe that Tiger's father, Earl, used to take Tiger down there to play quite a bit as a kid and also to watch you know, the, the, the uh, PGA Tour event at Torrey Pines. So it was a precious time that he got to spend with his father and, and, and he loved it and he reminisces about that. And it was only, like you mentioned, it was only about an hour's drive from Tiger's home in Cyprus to Torrey Pines. He also won the World Junior Championship there. Uh, Tory Pines is the annual host of the World Junior Championships. He won the World Juniors in 1984, 1985, 88, 89, 1990, and 91. So he was just absolutely obsessed with this course, to, to use that word again. Do you think that that fed a lot into it? Well, it, it must have. You know, I mean, it, it, at the end of the day,
1: you know, it, it, it's, a, it's an... It, Every major has so much importance to him and, and they're all great tournaments at great venues. But this one here, he he was just absolutely, whatever it was going to take, he was going to win this tournament. And it was, um, you know, when you look back at the tournament, it, it's just fascinating and mind boggling that he did actually win the tournament. Yes,
0: yeah, Steve, you mentioned the Buick Invitational, which was the PGA Tour's regular tournament at Torrey Pines. And that was in January, where, where it's nice and cold in Southern California. Tiger won that PGA Tour event seven times in total. Including four years straight from 2005 to 2008, after the USGA made that announcement, how much was he talking about that 2008 US Open when you'd play the regular tournament there?
1: Well, every hole. <laughs> I mean, <they're> just, <laughs> he, he, like he just, he, he just, like I said before, he wanted to know: would they build new tees? If so, where were the new tees going to be? Would they change any of the green complexes, and where would the pin positions be, and we, how would the fairway shapes? How, how would they? How much more would they narrow the fairways into where they were? And of course, when, when that tournament was completed, it was the longest U.S. Open course, which was you know in two thousand six became the longest U.S. Open course. So, you know, but it, it seemed like every year they were increasing the distance of the course. But you know, Tory Pines South Course is one of the great golf courses in America. Um, it is a fantastic golf course, and it's right there in front of you. It's not tricky, it's, you know. It's just a very, very hard golf course. And of course, if, if they could get lucky at that time of the year and not get too much, um, you know, of the fog around where the conditions would stay relatively dry, um, you know, they were in for you know it was going to be a great battle. As one US Open, you knew that even par would be a very good score. Yeah.
0: Steve, the beginning of 2008 was sensational for Tiger, wasn't it? Certainly probably his best ever start to a season. He won at Torrey Pines, the regular PGA Tour event in January. Then he won in Dubai. Then he won the WGC match play. Then he won again at Bay Hill. Four consecutive wins to start 2008. What do you remember about the beginning of that year and how good he was playing?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, it it, it just seemed like 2008 was going to be, you know, I've was very confident that he could probably take a couple of major championships in 2008. He was absolutely playing good. Um, I think everything that he'd worked on with Hank, you know, over the last couple of years, and that was really starting to, um, come into shape. And, and I think more so than anything, um, I was looking back um, at a lot of Tiger statistics. And one thing that did stand out in my mind, he was certainly driving the ball better um, with his swing at this particular point in his career, and he was hitting um, significantly more fairways over seventy-two holes, and, and and he was putting good. So, what do you 2000- think that was?
0: Why was he hitting more fairways? What about the golf swing? Was it?
1: Yeah, well, well like the, the thing that he'd worked very hard with with Hank was to eliminate that hook shot, um, that that left ball, and, and and theoretically, when you've got that and you can confidently aim down the left side of the fairway, knowing it's not going to go left and it's going to move left to right. Um, the, the fear factor goes out in a lot of holes and you can swing a little bit more aggressive when you pretty much know it's not going to go left. Of course, that wasn't the case of Tory Pines. <laughs> <because> <laughs> like Army golf, it was going left, it was going right. But uh, Yeah, no, 2008 was a phenomenal start. Like you said, he had four wins and a second at the Masters. So, um, you know, up until the point where uh, his doctors told him that he had a couple of stress fractures in his leg, um prior to that point, I mean, I was pretty confident, like I said, that I think in 2008 there was a very good chance he could win multiple majors. And obviously that's a, you know, as we talked in the last episode, uh, each major now is really getting close to that magical number and that those steps were still, you know, they were getting shorter and shorter to get to the top of the plateau there. So that, that was, um, what, 2008, the start of yeah. 2008.
0: Steve, uh, in your opinion, just a quick one, um, the, the statistics show that Butch Harmon his winning percentage with Tiger was lower than Hank. Hank's Hank's got the the highest winning percentage per tournament of any of Tiger's coaches. In your opinion, did Tiger swing at the absolute best under Hank out of all the coaches that Tiger had that you saw? Well,
1: that's that's a very difficult question because, I mean, a couple of his very, very best tournaments where I say he played the absolute best he's ever played were under Butch. Okay. But I think... I think consistently across the board, I think his swing became more repetitive and more consistent under Hank. But, you know, like I think we're talking, you know, it's very small margins here between um, Butch and Tiger. But like I said, he certainly drove, my statistics would tell me that he drove the ball better with Hank. And I think, like I said, because he he felt that he probably confidently knew that he wasn't going to hit the ball, that big left shot that he had from time to time.
0: So, Steve, Tiger finishes fifth at the Doral tournament in Miami on the PGA Tour, and then he finishes second at the Masters behind Trevor Immelman. And Hank Haney, Tiger's former coach, like we just mentioned, he wrote in his book that Tiger actually should have won that 2008 Masters except for a poor putting performance on the greens at Augusta. Does the 2008 Masters feel like the one that got away for Tiger?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, sometimes, you know, as I've said before, he certainly had a stretch there at Augusta. Um, in 2008, there was putting, was certainly his statistics weren't, weren't at all good um, on on the greens. And that, and, and but I mean, you know, you, you can't put it down just to putting all the time. But um, as I said, he, one thing that I knew after that tournament leading up into the next tournament he would be very disappointed in his putting there. So when he's disappointed with one aspect of his game, he'll go away and work tremendously hard on that aspect. (laughs) And you can generally count on the next week being a very good week. Of course, we didn't know the next week was going to be that far away, uh, having not played. He didn't play between the Masters and the US Open, but um, his putting was very good at the US Open. So, um, you know, sometimes those those little things like that, where where you don't perform one part of your game to, to your expectations,
0: you go away and work on it. Uh, he generally would come back very efficient in that segment of his game. So, Steve, after the Masters, Tiger had learned that he had two stress fractures in his tibia. his left tibia and his leg. And therefore, he he basically took the, the entire two months off between the Masters and the U.S. Open. What did you do in that time back in New Zealand?
1: I was just back in New Zealand. Uh, we still had a bit of our racing season left. And, um, you know, it was just family time and everything and that. But, you know, I was just waiting to find out when Tiger would play again and and, and if he would play again. Um, but, you know, I, I knew in the back of my head, knowing his desperation for that US Open, that he would be playing. But um, it was questionable right up. In fact, I, I, when I got boarded the plane on the Saturday of the weekend before the tournament uh, to fly out to California, I wasn't even 100% certain myself, and neither were his team 100%, but I had to be there really? to, know, to see how. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, yeah. So, you know, like even his practice rounds, there was still some. Um, you know, there's some possibility that he may not tee it up in the tournament just following the, you know, the early practice rounds.
0: And I believe that Hank called you and said, you know, it was a little bit negative at the time, but he said, um, Steve, there's, Tiger's wasting his time teeing up. He's too injured. He can't <laughs> play this tournament. Is that right? Can you remember that phone call?
1: Oh, I can remember. Yeah, that was on Saturday night um, when I arrived in, in, in the tournament site and talking to Hank and Tiger played at his local course and um yeah that's exactly he's he said he's just wasting his time he's got no chance this week. <laughs> oh,
0: can you imagine how he not played it it's just it, it it makes it probably the most remarkable major that tiger actually won. So like like you mentioned you get in Saturday night um the first look at the course in us up in conditions is Sunday morning once you walk around was that pretty late for you what would you normally be doing in the preparation for a major with tiger
1: yeah, look I mean yeah, look normally you know I would be with tiger on the weekend before um you know, he would have typically had a major championship he would have gone to the venue you know, the, the, you know prior to the to the weekend before it could be Thursday Friday it could be any day of the week prior play the major course and then he would be practicing on the weekend and I would typically be with him on that weekend practicing before heading to the Florida in Florida, or uh, well, in this case, it could have been California because he, he, he's a member of a course out in, in California there. But um, there was, you know, there, like I said, there's there a lot of doubts surrounding whether he would actually play and what his capabilities were. And he couldn't practice uh, in the lead up to it because his knee wouldn't allow the time and the stress to practice. So uh, there was no requirement for me to be there, but the tournament. And of course, Tory Pines, of course, would play every year. Um, so you know, don't have to you know, you know you know the conditions. Just got to note some of the changes that the USGA makes the course. But
0: you know, as far
1: as the course and preparation go, it was pretty straightforward that week.
0: Steve, yeah, I believe I believe the reason that Hank would have said that to you was because he Hank wrote in his book that Tiger played a nine-hole practice around a big canyon where where in Southern California where Tiger had a membership. He had a knee brace on actually. I believe he lost he lost six balls and shot in the high fifties for nine holes. Can you believe that?
1: Well, and I—I I, I was just astounded when, when what Hank had to say. But like, when we got to the golf course on the Sunday uh, to start his preparation for it, um, well, I, I was in disbelief to think that he was even contemplating playing the tournament. I mean, he—he—he—he was—I mean, he was just—he was not Tiger Woods, and he was not, in my mind in Hank's mind, he was not ready to play in the U.S. Open. And, and it was—you know—it was interesting because I mean, obviously. Uh, given the situation, it, 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 certainly there's no way that the leg was going to improve. It could only get deteriorate. And, you know, I, I thought the, the looking at the big the big picture and, and, and his future in golf, I, you know, I was somewhat surprised that he was going to play in the tournament. On the other hand, though, I knew he wasn't going to miss it. So, you know, it was fascinating how, how that all panned out.
0: In its 51st year of publication, Australian Golf Digest is the oldest golf media brand in Australia, reaching over 850,000 golfers every month. Australian Golf Digest provides the best written and video news in golf, both locally and internationally. Golf fans can get full access to the magazine through the digital pass, which starts from just $3.33 per month and also includes instruction, golf course and golf travel content. Head over to australiangolfdigest.com.au or check them out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just a random one. You mentioned the fact that you're you're getting on that plane from Auckland to LA, not knowing if Tiger's even going to play, and you might even be in LA for one day before flying home again, or sorry, in San Diego before flying home again. What do you do? The caddy for Tiger Woods gets on a plane from New Zealand. What do you do in that 13-hour flight? Do Do you plan the tournament in your head? Are you having a drink? What are you doing?
1: actually I, I brought my family to this event because and look i i fully anticipated that um a we may not be playing it so i thought well look, my son we, we, we could be going to disneyland that was kind of... <laughs> but, um, pretty good I, backup
0: actually,
1: yeah and i had well, look one of my fondest memories of this tournament actually is my wife came out with my son who was three years old at the time to come and watch tiger his nine-hole practice round uh on one of the days we started off the tenth hole and my wife is walking down inside, you know, in the, inside the gallery ropes, obviously, and walking down. And it was, uh, uh, t- and my son, Jet, saw, saw Tiger, first time he's actually seen him in person. And he let go of my wife's hand and he ran out onto the fairway. Did he really? <laughs> he, ran, <laughs> he ran around all the gallery and up onto the tee. He saw Tiger. It was just, it's one of those memories I'll never forget. That's he just amazing. He went up to the tee and then just went straight into Tiger's arms, he, you know, he, he didn't know Tiger. It's the first time he actually saw him. It was quite. It was a, it was a great memory. But you know, you're going back to the plane ride, it was like, you know, when you get on a plane ride, it's a nighttime ride from New Zealand to Los Angeles, so, you know, it, it leaves here late, so it's an easy flight. You get on there and, you know, you just go to sleep. So, uh, you know, with the, with the excitement that you come into a major. But, of course, um, you know, like I said, I brought my family that week because we, I thought there was an option we could be going to Disneyland.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the practice rounds, did he start to improve? Yeah, look i mean he
1: he did like i mean if he had if he, if, if he had a, if that tournament had' been a week prior say i mean i don't believe he would have even played in the tournament so he he, he stretched his rehabilitation and, and everything to the to the very last minute to be able to play and you know each day we play, we played nine holes was the most he could play and of course he didn't do any practice he warmed up briefly not his normal amount of warm-up prior to a round practice but he, practice round included but he didn't do any practice following the rounds um, because his leg wouldn't allow it, and he was, you know, physically and mentally beat. But Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, there was a little bit of improvement each day. Uh, he had his trainer there working feverishly to get things, you know, to the best possible position. Um, following each day, but um, you know, came come Thursday, he you know he, he had improved greatly since Sunday, but. In my mind, I, d- I didn't see any, be any possibility that he'd be winning that tournament. I thought it would be a monumental
0: effort just to make the cut,
1: given his play over the practice rounds and starting Thursday.
0: When you're thinking about Tiger's chances of, of even finishing the tournament, how different is that for you? Because normally you're, you've got a high expectation that he's going to win. So do you almost, do you almost personally plan for, for the, uh, the inevitable that he was maybe going to miss the cut or even withdraw from the tournament? And what would you have done then?
1: Well, I mean, I I, I don't know because you don't even you don't really yeah you, you, you in the back of your head you know you you, you think that there's a great ch- chance that he could miss the cut and that but you know I, I think one thing that the USGA did really 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 helped here is that this was the first tournament here uh, where the USGA went straight off the world rankings and appeared number one two three together four five six together seven eight nine well of course he's paired with Phil Mickelson and Adam Scott correct and. To be paired with Phil Mickelson in Southern California in front of all Phil's fans, I, I, I think just that was that was <laughs> the, the shot of the arm that Tiger needed because he wanted to show Phil under no certain circumstances, given whatever fork shape I'm in, that I can still beat you. I mean, this was a, <laughs> this awesome. was a monumental challenge that he absolutely loved. There was just no question. And if he had got paired. You know, just, you know, be, being the number one player in the world, you're always going to get good players. I'm not saying, but if he just had, got you know, look, I'll just pull two names out here. Say you got Stuart Sink and Jason Duffner say, it, right? Yep. Two very good players, two major championship winners, and they played the first two rounds together. It would be a totally different scenario to this golf tournament.
0: Yeah, Steve, I have a couple of follow-up questions to that because it's a fascinating point. Are you sort of are you sort of insinuating that because both Phil and Tiger were from Southern California, Phil being from San Diego, Tiger being from LA, Tiger wanted to show in no uncertain terms that he was the king of Southern California?
1: Absolutely no question in my mind. When that pairing came out, I, when I saw that pairing, I said that is just the best motivation Tiger can have this week because he's going to put every bit of pain aside and he's going to show Phil, despite playing on one leg, that I am the king of California and I'm, I'm going to beat you this week. So be ready for it. I mean, he was it was an unbelievably good pairing. And I think that is hugely overlooked.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's just one of those small facets that makes the 2008 US Open so good. But it's probably one that we forget because it's just a it's just a Thursday, Friday grouping, but it was actually integral to the tournament, so I'm glad you brought that up. Now, the next question I wanna ask you is, it was, it was Tiger's already injured, he doesn't know if he's even gonna finish the tournament, and you've got the longest major championship course in history, 7,643 yards. Were you almost a little bit daunted by that starting the week? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I mean,
1: you know, like, every year, the golf courses get longer and longer, and the USGA loves stating that it's the longest course. But I mean, the players from year to year, most of the top players, you know, they gain they gain enough yardage where the course plays the same as it would have had they not lengthened. If you know what I mean. But um, yeah, no, no. I mean, you know, it, it was going to be a daunting challenge. You know, the one very good thing for the most part, Tory Pines is fairly flat, and I thought that was pretty, you know, significant. I think if he had been playing somewhere. On one of these major championship courses, it's, it's very up and down. I think, you know, that would have been a lot more difficult given his knee. But, we're, you know, for the most part, it's pretty flat around there.
0: Steve, we start the tournament, round one on Thursday. Tiger double is the opening hole of this US Open, so it's already not off to a very good start at all. But he fights hard to shoot a one over past 72. And then we move on to Friday's second round. And this is where things heat up, things heat up don't they? Tiger rockets into a contention with a red-hot 68, during which he played his second nine in 30 shots, five under par, 30 shots, at a US Open. So come Friday night, he was tied second at two under par with Rocco Mediate, and we'll get to him a bit later, and Robert Carlson, and they're both one shot behind leader Stuart Appleby at three under par. And there is something I want to ask you about, and there's apparently a funny story. Despite Tiger's play improving, his knee was deteriorating. And there's a funny moment where Mark Steinberg is in the the room as as Tiger's physical trainer, Keith Cleven, He's operating on Tiger's knee round the clock. And he starts to get worried because Tiger's knees aren't improving. And he starts shouting at Keith, you've got to do something. You've got to do something. And Keith was getting all stressed. And apparently he was firing back. And Tiger laying there injured on the table. He's the one who had to calm the situation down. Can you remember that?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, it was pretty funny. I mean, you know, like everybody knew how much this tournament meant to Tiger. And, you know, I think Mark was, you know, like everybody, deeply invested in Tiger trying to, you know, you know, we. I think the big picture here, we we we're all pretty much thinking that the U.S. Open probably won't come back to Tory Pines. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it's one of those venues. Um, you know, look, it may do, but it's not 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 a typical U.S. Open course. that's rostered to hold the, whole, the whole U.S. Open for the first time, and you know, it's it, it's it's the utmost significant. And look, I mean, I think you know, it, sometimes this is where you know the, the managers they, they get it a little bit, they overreact a little bit here. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, there's a bit of a bit of banter this gets a bit serious and Tiger just has to calm things down. <laughs> you know, and he's the injured one. He's the injured one. Of course Friday was is is uh, the defining moment for me in that tournament. Tiger's tenth hole, he teed off the off the um off the tenth hole and his tenth hole was the first hole on Friday afternoon. It's just you know, he played off the cart path there. And As you recall, you know, as he was coming down to strike the shot off, his ball wasn't on the car path, but he had to stand on the car path. He had metal spikes on, still, you know, playing in metal spikes. Some players were in soft spikes, but then he was still in metal spikes. And as he came down to hit the ball, his right foot slid out underneath him. uh, And and I could hear the crunch. And I I, I just, I didn't even look at the shot. I just looked at his face and I said, man, that's the moment. And, And I said to him, and no uncertain terms, I said, Tiger, you know, do you honestly think it's worth carrying on here? You're risking the rest of your career. You're going to have multiple major championships to play in that. And he just said, F you, Steve, I'm winning this tournament." <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't. I just, I was flat. I mean, there's no way he had an unbelievable shot off that cart path given the circumstances. And that, and then he held the putt. I mean, that that just turned the whole tournament right around there because you know he hit a shot. Under extreme circumstances, the pain was unbearable, and he makes a birdie. I guess he said to himself, "That's that's the most pain I can play in, and I've still had a decent shot." And he just he he magically somehow for nine holes, um, came back to life. If you like, I mean, yes, he was still injured and he was limping. And he was I could watch his face and see the pain, but he, he, as far as the golf swing, he came back to life.
0: That's that's absolutely unbelievable. How audible was that crack in the knee?
1: Oh, I, I, like I said, I heard it. And I, I just, I just, it made me feel sick. I, it's one moment I can absolutely never forget. I felt sick. You know, I could hear this crack and I thought, oh my God. And I could, all I did was watch his face. I didn't, like I said, I didn't watch the ball. And and the look of pain, it was just terrible.
0: Oh, that's, yeah, it, it, just, it just makes you wonder what could have happened. But he, he limped through it and he goes on to shoot 68. After all that's said and done, can you believe that he was only one shot off the pace after 36 holes, and 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 he's <laughs> under par at a U.S. Open?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, U.S. Opens, Evan, is not won by the greatest amount of good shots; it's the least amount of bad shots. And you know, like <laughs> his play over the first 36 holes there, um, you know, was pretty average. And um, yeah, I, I I I was somewhat. The, the whole week amazed me. I I, I didn't feel like he played well enough to be in that position in the golf tournament. I mean, I just didn't feel like... I was very surprised that the scoring wasn't better.
0: What goes through your mind when you think of that back 9-30, which was actually the front nine, but it was Tigers back nine that day, 30 on, the, on that front nine at Torrey Pines South Course. When you think about that, what, what memories come up?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, he just he got... like. He he had a lot of good shots, but all of a sudden he got hot with the putter. And uh, in two thousand and eight, uh, he he had one of his great streaks of putting earlier on in the year. I think from memory that was one of the, it was almost a two hundred hole streak of no three putts. So he he goes on these streaks quite often, and it sort of on that nine holes. I mean he held a lot of great putts uh, to shoot thirty. I mean you know his play was good, but his putting was exceptional. But you know thirty at the U.S. Open. Uh, when he needed it. I mean if he had had a poor back line he, you know, he would have just been in the middle of the field towards the end of the field and you know that might have not given him the motivation like even though he was in a lot of pain in that when you're actually up there in the lead of the tournament you know that's what he thrives for and he'll play through whatever it takes to stay you know to stay in contention when he's in that position.
0: Chasing Majors is proud to partner with X-Blades who have been internationally renowned for decades for producing world class football boots and performance apparel for athletes across rugby union, rugby league, Aussie rules, and netball. The team at X Blades are passionate about grassroots and community sport, and that's why they're about to bring their credentials to golf with an exciting golf apparel range launching this year. Watch this space and keep listening to Chasing Majors. Alright, Steve, we move on to round three, and this is one of the most exciting rounds for me personally in, in Tigers' career. That wasn't a final round And that was his It was just a back nine for the ages On the on the third round on the Saturday Tiger sunk a 65 foot eagle putt On the par 5 13. Then he chipped in for birdie from the rough On the 17th And then he drained another eagle putt At the par 5 18th To take the 54 hole lead at 3 under par One shot ahead of Lee Westwood And Rocco Mediate One shot further back than that How was your heart rate that day? <laughs> Well, I mean, it's,
1: this is where, the, you know, the US Open, it's just bizarre here. He drives it way right from that par five, like way right.
0: On the 13th?
1: <laughs> yeah, off the golf course. You know, it's on and I mean, <laughs> it's just so far right. He gets a drop from the TV stand, and he, he's fortunate to drop it in an area where all the crowds have been standing. So they've got a half-decent lie. He hits an unbelievable shot to get it on the green. It landed right by the front of the green, ran to the back of the green, 65 feet in for three, only as Tiger can do. 17 hits another wickedly tee shot way to the right off the golf course. Actually hits a very good shot just to get it into the bunker. Hits the chip shot far too hard. Hits halfway up the flag and drops in the hole. I, mean, it's
0: just, I believe in I that said, moment, he sort of falls onto his knee and he starts laughing and he looks at you.
1: Yeah, like he just said, I mean, I, he just said, can you believe this shit? I mean, he's just... He's all over the course, and he's you know he's nearly leading the U.S. Open. I mean, it was just, it, you know, sometimes, you. I've always said if there's ever an event that I've carried and where you know you feel like there are some golfing gods, well, here they are, here looking shining right down, thirteen to eighteen. I mean, it was just unreal, and of course, the crowd noise was. You know, you can imagine, you know, making an eagle, then chipping in from there, then eagle the last hole. It was just, you know, it was fairy tale stuff.
0: That that eagle putt on the thirteenth, I believe it was from the back of the green, sixty-five feet down the hill. Can you describe for our listeners how difficult that putt was?
1: Well, I mean, I I think if you gave a golf pro ten balls from there, I think that he would probably have five two putts and five three putts, <laughs> and, or, or possibly. Um, you know, like, and, and that three cut three putt would include putting a couple of those balls off the green. The flag was on like five center from memory, and it's the hardest pin on, on the course with the bunkers. You know, front right, front left, There's it's very narrow entrance to the green. If that putt is struck a little bit too hard, it runs off the green fifty yards down the hill. I yeah. mean, it was incredible. It would be it would have been a monumental effort just to two putt, and he holds it. I mean, it's just, I mean he. He at the time, he is, in circumstance like that, he's just the man for the moment. I mean, it's it, 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 it's like almost supernatural sometimes to some of the things he does on a
0: golf course. Johnny Miller said on the broadcast at the time during that third round coverage that that part might have changed the course of the championship. Do you agree? Oh yeah, I mean, look,
1: you know, When you hit the tee shot, the first thing you're saying, well, there goes our chance of making a birdie on this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and at the time you're trying to claw your way back and get yourself in a good position for Sunday, and you know, oh, there's no question. You know, Johnny Miller makes some great comments and great statements, and that would be very accurate
0: right there. He's he maybe the best commentator of all time. Huge fan of Johnny Miller. So, Steve, Saturday night, can you believe the the position that Tiger was in? He's leading the U.S. Open after almost being sure that he wouldn't even tee up. Now he's three under par after 54 holes. It's his 14th, 54-hole lead at the Majors, and we know how he converted the previous 13. He's three under par. Lee Lee Westwood, who is playing probably better than anyone that tournament, Tita Green, he's at two under, so he's in the final group with Tiger. Then you've got Rocco Mediate, a real character in Journeyman, who's going to emerge in a second. We'll get to him in a second. What's going through your mind on Saturday night?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, it's just I had no concept when I watered that plane one week prior in Auckland to fly to Los Angeles, that we would be in the last group of the US Open on Sunday, um, given the circumstances. And then when I got to Torrey Pines, played our practice rounds, I was even more certain that we would not be in contention this week. And then, you know, that Friday afternoon, 30 on the back nine, and, you know, it, it, his condition, his health condition with his leg, it, it, it wasn't like it was getting better. I could see it was getting worse. And, like, when he came off the golf course, each day he couldn't get back to his hotel room quick enough so that he could get on the table and get his trainer to work on it. So um, it's not like that. was. But one thing you, that Tiger has an incredible ability to do is what is the muscle memory. He, he's able so many times when he's in, in, in a condition that's not conducive to making a good swing to be able to draw up some muscle memory, picture that swing in his head and make the swing regardless of how his body is. That's one of his things that he's incredibly good at and he did it so many times. that You can see he'll draw back on a memory of hitting shots at that golf course prior to him, you know, all those years he won the Buick. He can draw a memory in his, in his mind and make his body, you know, do that muscle memory and, and execute the shot. And no more times, he was, you know, and there's no tournament where he needed that more than the U.S. Open.
0: So, Steve, we move on to the final round, and Tiger double bogeys the first hole for the third time that week, and then he makes bogey on the second hole. What do you think at that point?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it, it was a very unfortunate start given that how hard he'd got to work to get himself into that position, and he's just given it away. But hey, look, you know, he, he was very, very nervous that week. I mean, obviously, his knee, and, and, and when Tiger wants to do something so badly, he gets incredibly nervous. And I could see it on that first tee every day. You know, he, he has a few. Things that he does, you know, that'll indicate to me he's nervous. And this week he was very, very nervous. And hence, his, you know, his three tee shots off that first hole uh, during the, you know, when he had a tee off on the first hole, not the tenth hole, as we, as we did one afternoon, um, <laughs> they were extraordinary bad shots. And you know, three three doubles on the first hole, and you know, like it, you know, he made four doubles that week, um, and four doubles does not win the U.S. Open. No. Um, I, I and he had four doubles, and and he had a he had at least one three part every day there, um, and my statistics
0: will tell me that that, that 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 just doesn't add up. So it doesn't, no. But he bounces back with birdies at nine and eleven, and then he drops a couple more shots coming home. He he bogeys thirteen and fifteen. What are you sort of saying to Tiger at this point to keep him in the game? Yeah, well, you you, you know you you, you you sort of we we figured
1: somehow if you could get to two under. Um, that, that was going to be a very good number and, and one, one under might be in a playoff. We figured that someone would get to two under uh, and that's what, you, you know, that's what you're striving for and, you know, you've, you've got to, you, you've got to hit good shots but, you know, any time you can hit good shots, you're going to have makeable putts. So, you know, even though you drop a couple of shots in, it looks like more difficult than that but, you know, hey, you, you, you can't lose sight of what you're doing. You, 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 know, you know the score, you, the target you're trying to get to. And you, you, know, you, you don't change anything. You just try and hit good shots and give yourself opportunities to make those birdies.
0: And, and were you saying anything besides that score? Were you saying anything to keep Tiger mentally in, in the present and not get too far ahead of himself?
1: Oh, no, no. You just, you know, you, 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 oh, I, that week I was just trying to keep, keep you know, tr- I was trying to chat to him a little bit more than I actually would normally chat to him because that way it's taken some of the, you know, like if you're just wandering up the field by yourself, all you're thinking about is the pain in your leg. So I actually walked a bit more with him. Uh, you know, I'm normally quite a bit out in front of him, getting myself all the information I need and so forth. But that week I actually walked a bit more with him. Yeah. Uh, so just talk to him so he could take his mind off. Of, yeah. You know, figured by chatting to him a little bit more that would take his mind off the pain a little bit. So
0: So so he bogeys fifteen like we just mentioned, that drops him back to even par. Did that then sort of force him he, he knows now that he has to make Birdie on eighteen to what he thinks is going to force the playoff one under par, and that is correct. Did that put a bit of stress on after fifteen, knowing that you absolutely have to birdie eighteen?
1: yeah well i mean 16 and 17 are you know a, a, a difficult holes but you, you know if you can get one get a ball on the field on 17 you ain't going to have a short shot in there but it's a hard flag to get to uh, on sunday there because if you make a mistake either short or long on that flag you can bring bogey into play so you know your best chance is going to be on 18 unless you happen to you know get fortunate to hit one real close on 17. so 18 was the hole and you know you had a poor tee shot and very very poor layup shot <laughs> you know you, you and then, you know, the third shot is, is you know, Tiger could theoretically have got um, fine for slow play here because I, I slow played him to the max <laughs> here because I just was convinced that, you know, he had 100 yards, oh, 101 I think it was, he, that he could hit a 60-degree wedge. Uh, it was a sand wedge was the club, but by yardage and, and by everything else. But I just had this feeling that he had to, Take a rip at a sixty-degree sandwich. I had a feeling that the lie was going to—he could do it. You know, I just—and I—I I had a bit of trouble convincing him, yep. which is—and um, I just—I had, you know, I, I took a lot more time than I wouldn't. I wouldn't let Tiger hit the shot until he—until he chose the club that I wanted him to choose. So that—that's actually—I'm very fond of that memory. And of course, he—you know—he took the sixty-degree club, absolutely took a full lash at it, and it hit it absolutely. You know, the distance was absolutely perfect.
0: All right, Steve, I want, to, I want to dive into the 18th hole here because it's one of the most important holes in, in Tiger's career, really, and, and certainly your career. He hits a poor drive on the 18th hole, and then his second shot from the fairway bunker lands in the rough, and that's where the trajectory of your and Tiger's career changes a lot, doesn't it? Can you take me through that third shot, that wedge shot out of the rough going for the green?
1: Yeah, well, just look, on 18, you're sitting up to fade off that bunker and, and slightly pulled it, very poor shot you know the bunker shot he's just trying to hit a good solid line shot into the left side of the fairway for the best angle and I mean, he, he blocks that shot way right okay it's in the right rough but it's way right of where he is aiming trying to put the ball he's trying to put the ball in the left side of the fairway for the perfect angle mm-hmm. so we get down there it's just over 100 yards to the hole it's a sand wedge yardage um and and I, I look at the lie look at the shot look Circumstances, and I said it's only one way you're going to get this ball close, and that's to hit a 60 degree wedge. I mean, he he he's if he's going to take a sandwich, it's he's going to have to take some off it, and it's going to be very un- unpredictable how the ball is going to come out. I'm fully convinced if he just takes a full whack at a 60 degree, I know how it's going to come out, and I believe he can. Under he's got a little bit of adrenaline going. He's mad after two poor shots. I thought that was a club. So so did you
0: lie? Was this an instance where you lied about the yardage to get him to take the 60 himself? Or did you have to convince him of the 60?
1: Oh, it was 104. I told him it was 101. I brought it back three. (laughs) (laughs) If it was 104, uh, you know, if I told him it was 104, there's absolutely no way he was going to... Because I brought it back three. Um... And, you know, like normally we have a process and it's very quick. Tiger plays quickly, makes his mind up quickly and executes quickly. But this is a time where, where I wasn't going to let him hit the shot until he took the club. And I, you know, took a little bit of explaining and it was a great moment. You know, he obviously hits the shot and, and the rest was history.
0: Yeah. Well, I suppose Steve, your decision to, to get him to hit the 60 is vindicated by the fact that he hoists it way up in the air. And once it, once it lands on the green, it actually spins back about five feet. So he gets backspin out of the rough, which I find absolutely mind-boggling. So he gets a bit of backspin on that. He leaves himself with a twelve-foot putt. And can you take me through that twelve-foot putt? It's one of the most famous parts in the in the history of golf.
1: Oh, I, look! I, I was I was I was looking, I I wasn't even thinking. That. I was thinking, where are the pin placements tomorrow for the 18-hole playoff? Where, <laughs> you know, I mean, I had no quick doubt in my mind. Like he 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 never ever missed a putt on the 18th hole when he had to make one, either to win a taunt, get into a playoff, or whatever it might be. I, I just didn't... It didn't even cross my mind that he might miss that. I, always, so in, I that, was thinking, in
0: look, that 100-yard walk to the green, you're just you're just thinking about the 18-hole playoff the next day, assuming that yeah, he's going I, to make I, it. I,
1: yeah, I'm just thinking, OK, we, we, we've used the four hardest pin placements, so it's an 18-hole playoff. Where are the pin placements going to be? That's all I was thinking about. I just... Look, when you can't even tie woods, and the amount of times he comes to the 18th green, with you know, like I said, to win, to tie, what it be... Uh, he never missed. I mean, I, I almost felt like that, you know, he, he, somehow that ball had a magnet on the 18th. I don't know. <laughs> if you watch that putt in slow motion, it's just mind-boggling how many times it moves offline, back online, offline, back online.
0: Did he ask you to read that putt at all? No, no, no. He knew the greens there very, very well. So he, and, and it looks like it broke a little bit right to left. It sort of like it hit the right edge of the cup, but it was, it was bleeding just a touch left, and then it sort of circles the hole and drops in, and pan, yeah. pandemonium yeah. ensues.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, look, as I said, I didn't have any doubt he was going to make it. I suppose that's, he just made so many putts
0: on 18. I mean, I just, I guess, you know, you just sort
1: of automatically thought he was going to make it.
0: So, Steve, Tiger shoots a 2 over 73 and Rocco shoots a 71 and they're both tied at one under par after 72 holes. Now, at the time, the rule for playoffs with the USGA for the US Open was competitors had to have an 18-hole playoff the next day, what did you say to 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 Tiger that Sunday night as you kind of came off the green and before you said your goodnights to each other?
1: Well, like, like I said, mate, just you, you've got a big day tomorrow. You need to go and get as much rest as you can. Get Keith to do whatever you do. I said, you, you know, you're just going to have to find another way to play another eight, another 18 holes. I mean, he was absolutely worked, absolutely beat.
0: I said, you just somehow got to find another way to play another 18 holes, and you know, get with your team tonight and get you know get onto it. Steve, we arrive at the playoff Monday morning. You're on the range at Tory Pines. And Rocco Mediate decides to to rock up to the golf course wearing red and black, which is, you know, in no uncertain terms, Tiger's colours. He owns them. <laughs> what did you and Tiger think of that gesture? He was obviously trying to stir Tiger up a little bit. But what did you and Tiger think of that? Well, I
1: mean, he did he did stir Tiger up. There's no two ways about it because <laughs> Tiger said, "Can you can you honestly believe he's what he's got on?" That's exactly what he said. Can you honestly believe? It? I said, no, no, that's, I said
0: that's pretty ballsy." <laughs> Was it like a? I mean, was Tiger sort of laughing when he said, "Can you believe that?" Or was it more just like bewilderment?
1: I think no, he was bewildered. I mean, I just, I, I I don't know if anybody else would do that. It was, I mean, you know, it was, it was, it just added to the whole excitement, the whole drama. I mean, everything. I mean, you know, you you could imagine how many people watching it and that are golf fans know that Tiger wears red and black on Sunday, and the guy that's, you know, this journeyman guy, he's got red and black on too. (laughs) It
0: was. (laughs) Yeah, you know I mean, it's unbelievable. Also, probably not the guy that you want to do it to, Tiger Woods. You don't want to piss him off.
1: Well, I mean, any time Tiger can get a little bit of added, added extra motivation to do well, I mean, it's just not something you want to do. So there's no question in my mind that, you know, like, it's this US Open, but that just gave it a little bit more emphasis to win that tournament, given what, what occurred there.
0: All right, well, uh, Steve, Tiger seemed to calm down from that gesture because he eventually gets his sense of humor back. He finds the first fairway, he hits the fairway for once this week, and he jokes to the crowd, finally I hit the fairway. Can you remember that moment?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, you know, when you're playing an 18-hole playoff and it's one man against one man, I mean, he just did not want to hit a poor shot off that first hole and get off to a bad start, and get, get behind early uh, and dig yourself in a, in a deep hole.
0: Steve, at one stage, Tiger got up to a three-shot lead, but by the 18th hole, Rocco actually had a putt to win, and he missed it. So they were all square again. Can can you imagine? Can, can you can you believe that that Rocco actually could have won that in the playoff? Like it's based on what we know about this this 2008 U.S. Open, it's kind of crazy to think that um, Rocco could have actually won it.
1: Yeah, look. You you gotta take your hat off to Rocco I Media. Obviously on Sunday he played a very, very good round of golf to get himself, you know, in a position to actually win the tournament had Tiger not birdied the last hole. He played fantastic. And then on on that eighteen hole playoff Monday, I mean he played flawless. I mean he he was really he was up for it. I mean, I I take my hat off to the bloke he was having the the week of his life and he didn't let anything affect him playing with Tiger Woods the whole nine yards. I mean, it was great. The gallery was, you know, 50-50 divided. Half were going for this blue-collar Pennsylvania guy and the other were going for the local Southern California boy. It was absolutely an electric atmosphere. And surprisingly, we couldn't believe how many people there on the Monday. I mean, they came from everywhere to watch this. And, um, yeah, I mean, look, you got to take your hats off. And it's just, it's unfortunate when you look at some of these guys like, You know, there's a lot of guys, Bob May, Rocco Media. These guys absolutely play their hearts out and and do everything that they could and should win the tournament, and they don't (laughs) because there's one man that just refuses to lose, and that's Tiger
0: Woods. Steve, you know something that's crazy about this 18 hole playoff is that both Rocco and Tiger made four bogeys and four birdies to both shoot an even 71. It's kind of, it's just one of those things that makes this major so crazy.
1: Yeah, look, it was, you know, like you said, Tiger. Had a, had a good lead there for a while and ended up he needed to birdie the 18th hole once again just to, you know, like to, to extend the playoff one more to, to what we call sudden death. I mean, it was a topsy-turvy day. And like, to be fair, Rocco played very well. He probably played better than Tiger did. But, you know, Tiger's hung in there, hung in there. Like, he, he, he to me, was a little bit more tired uh, than he had been Thursday or Sunday. Like, he you know, starting the week, he would have he feared himself okay, Four days, three days, two days, one day, and Sunday he would have been saying, "Okay, this is the last day, Tiger. I've got to just one day to do it. eighteen holes." Then all of a sudden on Sunday he's got to refocus. He's got another eighteen holes on Monday, so he was visibly more tired uh, on Monday and and probably not as energetic as he would have liked to have been. But you know, he's Tiger Woods. He'll find a way.
0: How do you think Tiger found the energy that day? From what you remember, how did he find the the courage and the fight to keep going?
1: Oh, I think the just the crowds were just, they were so vocal both ways. You know, Tiger and Rocco, probably like it was 50-50 divided. And it was a great atmosphere. One-on-one, US Open player, doesn't get any better than that. You know, you don't, you're do not you not worrying about any other player, just the guy you're actually playing with. It was fantastic. And, you know, Rocco was up for it, And, you know, it was interesting because, you know, Rocco's a very chatty sort of guy that And, you you know, Tiger was very smart there. When Rocco wanted to chat a lot, he just sort sort of slowly slow the steps down on Rocco because he he walks fast and he he couldn't slow down to Tiger's pace. And and, and he was <laughs> sensing, I don't think this guy wants to chat to me too much today. He's all business-like. You know, all the little games they play.
0: Can, can you remember a, a golfer in, in major championship history soaking up the moment as much as Rocco did? Like he it from from me, I wasn't there, and I'm watching these highlights and these videos. It seems that Rocco was trying to enjoy the moment as much as he was trying to win. Yeah, I mean, look,
1: he was he was having the time of his life, and he was playing great. So, I mean, he was just taking it all in. I mean, he he he's a guy that had not been in this situation before, and he was going to make sure that had he had he got come this far and got the opportunity to be in this situation, he was just going to lap it up and have a great time. It was it was a great theory. I mean, he was he was absolutely you know you you would if you were watching him, you wouldn't think he was in the battle for the U.S. Open, but you know like. He had nothing to lose, and a lot of people say, oh, he's got nothing to lose. But still, it doesn't matter if you've got nothing to lose. It's trying to win a major championship, whether you've won one or 40, they're difficult tournaments to win. In. And he, he composed himself and played extremely well and was very, very unlucky not to win.
0: Steve, the sudden death hole, because they've obviously done, they've done 18 holes in the playoff. It's still They're still all square. They go to a sudden death hole. I'm not sure why. Maybe you know why. But the, the sudden death hole was the par four seventh.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I, I guess because the tournament started late local time, it was finishing nine o'clock, uh, eastern time. That was that the, the, the tees right there by the 18th.
0: Oh, okay, um, right. Yep.
1: So, you know, if they needed to go one extra hole, they could just walk. It was, you know, for just the logistics of the crowd getting the players to a tee, you know, just it was very easy to do that and and and. and you know, they, well they could have very well used the first hole as well. I don't really know.
0: Imagine, the, imagine ch- the USGA tournament committee because normally these these playoff holes, what what holes will be a playoff? Should there be a, a playoff? That's decided before the tournament begins or bef- before the final round begins. But can you imagine someone saying, "All right, well if we go to a playoff, that's that's an eighteen hole playoff per USGA rules. All right, if they're still tied after that, we need to go to a ninety first hole. Imagine the bloke thinking, "Well this is never going to go to ninety one hole, so let's just fucking make it the par four seven.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's uh, I think that's what a lot of people thought but, you know, I mean, obviously it, these are all the things, like, come Monday when we're entering into an 18-hole playoff that, that, uh, that's one of the questions I found out, one of the first things I asked an official okay, if we are tired of the 18-holes where do we go to? And I thought the same thing it's, you know, it's unusual, but they could have used the first hole again, I, I don't, you know m- maybe they wanted Tiger to win the tournament and they realised the first hole was not suitable for them that week, we'll go to another hole <laughs>
0: All right, well, anyway, we arrive at it, and the sudden death hole, it is the par four seventh, and Rocco tugs his tee shot left into the fairway bunker, and then he hits that shot even further left for a second. He's then faced with a 20-foot uh, par part that would have forced another hole, but he, he misses it, and Tiger makes par to win and secure major number 14.
1: Yeah, well, let me... Firstly, the, the playoff hole, he probably hit the two best shots of the entire week. What we call back-to-back shots. He had an absolute perfect tee shot. He had absolute seven iron, as good as he can hit it, right where he's trying to hit it. So they were two. That was Tiger. That was Tiger Woods at his best when it meant the most. The chips are all on the line. He hit the two best shots he hit all week. So it was a great finish to you know, an extraordinary week.
0: So Steve after you've been through the, the absolute roller coaster week of a life you, you you thought that tiger wasn't even going to play and now he's won the us Open can you reflect on what an achievement is with tiger with a broken leg and all sorts of stress fractures and, and ligaments in his knee done can you can you imagine what a what a victory that was?
1: Yeah look I mean you can't put yourself in someone else's body but you know I'm standing beside this guy watching the pain that he's going through and watching the grimace on his face and on Friday on the our 10th hole, when he hit that shot and I talked to him about, you know, maybe this is the time to walk back to the clubhouse and in no uncertain terms, he says, Steve, I'm winning this tournament. Well, it was just, you know, I I just I I take my hat off to the man. I mean, think that a guy could play in that much pain and hit, you know, hit so many poor shots, but hold it together mentally and physically um, and and not do any practice during the week. I mean, it was just an unbelievable effort. One of the great not only golf tournaments, but one of the great sporting achievements of all time.
0: Does it stand out to you that, that Tiger really was mind over matter that week? He was, he's, his brain controlled his body, not the other way around?
1: Absolutely, 100%. He had to. I mean, he was in poor physical shape, difficulty walking. He, you know, he, was, he was in absolute pain. He was taking a lot of painkillers and so forth. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just mind over matter. He,
0: his mental strength and his discipline to keep going was an absolute credit to him. And you've told me multiple times that Tiger absolutely should not have won this major championship, and I believe that you've got some stats to back it up, so can you hit us with those?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, look, you know, as I pointed out earlier, major championships are won not by the least, of, you know, the greatest amount of good shots, the least amount of bad shots. I mean, I, I've never seen Tiger hit so many poor shots in one major championship and come out on top. But, like, he made four doubles.
0: Four double bogeys. Four,
1: four double bogeys, you know, over the course of the, of the week. And had four three putts. Mm. So he had a three putt every day. Yeah. Um and, and, and in his in all the times like cave tiger, there were only three other major championships that he played in where he had a three putt one or at least one three putt every day. And he like I said, he had four doubles. Well I went back and had a look at his statistics. So in two thousand and seven he played in four major championships, made two doubles, you know, over four tournaments. Yeah. 2006, he made four doubles. 2005, one double. 2004, five doubles. 2003, four doubles. 2002, two doubles. So you, know, you can get the theme here: like you can't make double bogeys in major championships, and 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 he makes four and one of them. Like yeah. some years, he doesn't make four and four and four rounds. You know, four tournaments at sixteen rounds. Here, he's made four and four rounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not the
0: statistics just, just, just don't add up. It's given eight shots uh, back to the tournament.
1: Yeah, it, it, absolutely. I mean, you, you just can't make. You know, you're going to make doubles at major championships. It's hard to avoid it sometimes, particularly on a course as tough as Torrey Pines. But to make four in one week, three on the first hole, never mind. And <laughs> yeah, so the, my statistics would tell me that he wouldn't even be in contention this week.
0: So to go back to what I asked you just before, how how do you think that Tiger found the strength to get it done that day? And it, there's an amazing quote that he said right after he'd won. He said he was basically asked. How did you win? And he said, "All the people. I could never quit in front of those people. It wasn't going to happen. The crowd really got him over the line, didn't they? Yeah. Look, I mean,
1: adrenaline is a big thing in sport. When you, you know, when you're carrying an injury like he was, I mean, you know, you've got to get some adrenaline. Of course, when the adrenaline gets going." Obviously, it takes away a little bit of the pain, but the you know, the people were well aware of what was going on. I mean, everybody was commentators, everybody involved in the tournament could see the way he was walking and that. I mean, he, you know, he's not a guy that's going to put an act on. I mean, he Tiger's played through tons of injuries when I've carried for him, and he never puts an act on or shows that he's injured. But this particular time, you know if he's showing the looks on his face and his body language and the way he's walking, you know he's in bad shape. So the crowd appreciated that, and they got right behind him, and that, and that, lifts, that just gives you a mental lift, and you know, and, no one's going to take more advantage of that than tiger
0: woods steve it's kind of fitting that tiger who grew up on the scrappy public fairways of courses in los angeles he won all three of his us opens at public courses pebble beach beth page and tory pines three layouts in america that are not only world class but truly public courses that joe blow can play yeah that that's a
1: great attribute to have i mean or you know just to know that you can play well, or, or just, uh, I think, firstly, like, it's great that the USGA chooses golf courses like this. Beth Page was, you know, everybody loved the chance to go to Beth Page, Torrey Pines, Southern California. It's great that the USGA, you know, take some of these major championships to golf courses that the general masses can play it. I think it's awesome. And then, like, for the Tiger to be crowned at three of these golf courses, are three very, very famous golf courses that people can relate to, you know, and, and you know, people will always remember the Torrey Pines Pebble Beach and, and Beth Paige they are all three of you know three of Tiger's best major championships. To be honest,
0: well, Steve, Tiger was obviously in competition with with a, a rival from a previous era, and that was Jack Nicklaus. By winning the 2008 U.S. Open, Tiger actually became only the second player after Jack to win the career Grand Slam three times over. It's just incredible, isn't it?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, you know, starting out the year in 2008, I I, I had. High hopes that he could win multiple majors. And, you know, like I said, each step up that ladder was getting closer and closer to the top of it. Um, It's just uh, unfortunate what, you know, the circumstances that um, he wasn't able to play following the US Open. But, uh, you know, more importantly, you know, 2008, he gets one. Um, He has two chances, has second at Augusta and has a win there. And that wraps up his year. So, you know, it's great that you start 2009, um, you know, Knowing that you had one in 2008.
0: In its 51st year of publication, Australian Golf Digest is the oldest golf media brand in Australia, reaching over 850,000 golfers every month. Australian Golf Digest provides the best written and video news in golf, both locally and internationally. Golf fans can get full access to the magazine through the digital pass, which starts from just $3.33 per month and also includes instruction, golf course, and golf travel content head over to australiangolfdigest.com.au or check them out on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. So Steve, Tiger had knee surgery on his ACL just after that US Open victory and he shuts it down for the rest of the year, for the rest of 2008. What did you do in that time?
1: Yeah, no, I, 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 um, I went back to New Zealand and just you know, led a normal life for a while. It was probably quite refreshing, to be honest. <laughs> you know, I had about six months of... Leading a somewhat normal life, I quite enjoyed it actually. It just you know, it was a bit you know like as much as I loved caring for Tiger, it was obviously a full on job, and that and that was actually a, probably a bit of a welcome break at the time. You know, it wasn't wasn't something I was planning on doing, but it was it came it was it was quite nice.
0: Well, the both of you come back really refreshed because two thousand and nine is one of Tiger's better years, and and we'll get to it in a second. It, it's marred by the off course scandal, but the statistics of his play that year is is sort of overlooked because. Seven victories and three runner ups from nineteen official events. That that's that's mind boggling.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, each and every year the competitions gets better and better. And the competition gets deeper, and I think as the years roll by, you know, to to win those, that have to rack up those kind of figures indicates that you're probably playing better and better because the fields are deeper. The, you know, the courses are longer, and everything's just you know rolling on, absolutely amazing.
0: Yeah, well, seven wins and three runner ups from 19 official starts, but then the scandal broke towards the end of 2009, and then he doesn't, Tiger doesn't win at all in 2010. In 2011, uh, the two of you end up parting ways after 12 years as player and caddy. Were you devastated at the time?
1: Well, I mean, I don't know how you wouldn't be, Evan. Um, you know, we, we both had a goal and we both lived and breathed that goal. And, and I thought about that goal every day. And it was a goal that I thought was absolutely going to happen. So when it came to an end, it was obviously very disappointing because that pinnacle that we were both striving to get to, um, certainly I was not going to be part of that pinnacle had, had he achieved it or if he achieves it. But um, it's the nature of the job. And at the time, yeah, I was devastated at the
0: time. It just, it, I
1: didn't see that coming.
0: And, and I won't go into the scandal out of respect for not only yourself, but also Tiger. But, uh, you know, and it's also been written and, and spoken about enough in my opinion. But I will ask this because it did contribute to the sort of, you know, the deterioration of your working relationship at the time. Is it almost disappointing that something non-golf related fast tracked the end of your partnership rather than maybe you making a mistake in a major that cost Tiger a major championship? Is, is it a little bit disappointing that was something unrelated to golf?
1: Yeah, that's a good point, Evan. Like, I mean, you know, I I, I always – what Tiger Woods does off the golf course has no bearing on me, and I have no interest what he does off the golf course. I mean, everybody is a human being. Everybody can do what they want. My job was to caddy for him and do the best I could as a caddy, which I always felt I did. Um, but the circumstances around how I was let go as Tiger's caddy, you know, it was probably disappointing because – it was beyond my control. I certainly had, um, you know, no, n- n- had nothing or no, you know, it was wasn't like it was had nothing work related, you know. Usually, when you get fired, it's work related, not personal reasons. So, yeah, it was it was a bit of pill to swallow at the time.
0: Could you have copped it on the chin? Maybe a little bit easier if you had just given him a wrong read on a green or a wrong yardage that cost him a major championship, and therefore you you, you parted ways. Would that have maybe been easier to cope with?
1: Yeah, well, I that's that's a good point because I, I I don't believe that you know given the success we've had and how hard we've worked together, I, you know, if I made a mistake on on a whole that cost him a torment, you know, I, I think the the good times that we had would far overshadow in that. And, and like, we we all make mistakes under big situations and there's a lot of pressure involved, but. Um, one thing that Tiger would know, and we both know of each other, that we're both giving it hundred percent. We absolutely work our tails off, and, and mistakes are going to happen. So, you know, I don't believe Tiger would be the sort of person that had i made a mistake in a crucial moment of a golf tournament, that cost him victory. I, I don't think that would be something that he would contemplate firing somebody over because he just knows how, you know how much work goes in, and, and we all make mistakes. And you know, okay, so one, one thing to make a mistake through, you know, like if you give a bad yardage and, and that costs a guy a tournament, but you know that doesn't happen very often and, and um
0: yeah steve looking back on your time with tiger would you do anything differently on on the golf course no I, look
1: amazingly you know i don't have one regret of anything i've done on the golf course with tiger i mean if i look back and had i did something differently, perhaps i should have lived in America um, instead of coming back and forth to New Zealand. I'd make nine to ten trips every year, catting for Tiger from New Zealand. To, you know, I'd go if he's playing one week and had a week off, I'd go for a week, come home for a week, go back the next week, come you know, it's back and forth. Um, maybe and you know, I look back, that was probably an extraordinary amount of travel. But um, <laughs> no, I'd say
0: yeah. in your defence, catting for Tiger is unlike catting for any other golfer on the PGA Tour. You probably needed to leave the country and get that rest and get away from the limelight and, and the, the bubble that surrounds Tiger Woods.
1: Oh, I absolutely am. I, I, I don't follow golf when I'm, when I'm not catting. And when I go back to New Zealand, you know, it's particularly in the summertime, I'd come back to New Zealand and, and like I couldn't wait to get into my race car and go racing a couple of times a week and then go back to the States next week. And Tiger was always great. He wanted to know how you got on with the racing and da 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 know. And so forth. But it was absolutely that was absolutely the reason I did that because you just got away. It was a you know, catting for Tiger as a as a catting position was different to any other player that's ever played on the PJ tour. And, and you know, to come back each week very, very refreshed, even you know, taking in the travel into consideration, but always felt mentally fresh and up for the challenge. But I think if I had stayed in America Um, and and probably spent more time around Tiger, that might have been different. Um, When I very first went to work for him, uh, I knew that the pressure that was going to be involved in caring for him and particularly after we'd sit down and and he had assessed and told me what his goals were going to be, I knew it was going to be a tough journey. And I stressed to him that, look, hey, other than coming to you for major championship weekends before, I'm I'm back in New Zealand and, and doing my thing in between tournaments. So it worked great.
0: Steve, one thing about this podcast, doing this podcast with you that stuck out to me is that it's almost like you didn't get to hit the pause and reflect button during your time with Tiger. And it's mainly, it's almost only now that you're able to sit back and I'm asking you questions and you're telling stories that you're you're truly allowed to soak up what you achieved. Is that part of that true?
1: Oh, it's 100%. Like, I'm not one to sort of look back in the past and, and so forth. And during the time that I was caring for Tiger, as I've said often in these podcasts, thing you know, what, you'd say, "How did you celebrate?" And, and Tiger, the first thing is, "Okay, what's the next major? Where's it at? Where are we going? What are you doing? How's <laughs> the course? How are we playing?" I mean, it was, it was just constant pressure. Um, and, and when you have spent that many years on on the tour, catting and that, and it comes to an end. And you start to reflect and this show has actually been, a, it's just been an absolute dream for me because, I, you know, I've watched a lot of old tapes and old videos of those tournaments, trying to get some recollection of what what went on in those events. It's fantastic memories. So, you know, it was a, like everything comes to an end and, and like, you know, to sit back at the end of my career and, and, and to think that I caved Tiger Woods for all those years and had all that success is just an absolute blessing.
0: Steve, in all these episodes and all the phone calls I've had with you, you've been glowing of Tiger and, and, and you're, you're so proud of him. Is that what you see when you see him on the news or read him in the newspaper or when he won the 2019 Masters? Is it nothing but pride?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, when he won the Masters in 2019, you know, I, I still to this day hope that he gets to number 18 or 19. Yeah. You know, and I, and I can say I was there for 13 of them. Yeah. Um, you know, and that, that's, that, that's huge. But, um no, that, look, he's a game he's a guy that changed the face of golf he got more people into playing he made it a popular game he made it better financially for everybody involved in golf from, you know, on every level right from the greenkeepers at the golf course they played tournaments on to the press to the caddies to the media everybody benefited from tiger woods applying himself to the game and, and giving everything he had to the game so you know I, i'm just absolutely when i look back i mean it, yeah, it did come to a bit an end there's no question we, we know that but Outside of the fact of that, I enjoyed every single moment caddying for Tiger Woods on the PGA Tour and, and
0: around the world. Yeah, well said. Steve, I, I want to get your final thoughts before we before I let you go. And that's, you're, you're just a kid from Wellington. You grew up caddying at Pato Pato Umu Beach for $2 a loop when you were 10, to, you know, 11, 12 years of age. You've gone on to caddy for some of the greatest players ever, arguably the greatest player ever. You helped him win 13 major championships. How do you cast your mind back to that 12-year-old?
1: <laughs> you know, it's fascinating, Evan. Since the time that I have retired from caddying, I've actually gone back to my home golf course, Umu, because I don't live anywhere near there now. And I've gone back there often for one reason, because that's where it all sort of started for me. And I play that golf course, and it is the most enjoyable four hours of walking around that golf course because it brings back all the memories of caddying, because that's where it started for me. And for some reason, when I get on that holy bit of turf, it brings back all the memories. Um, You know, to think that I started at that golf course caddying as a junior for the members, and I love doing that, um, to go from there to caddy on the world's best stage and and for some of the greatest players, well, it's just a dream come true. And, you know, it's just, you know... I. I love caddying, and I, even when I was a kid, caddying for the members at that golf course, I just loved it. It's just something I'm still fascinated with, and even to this day, I cave for friends of mine at the amateurs. They play in golf courses. I love caddying for. Them. I love the challenge of help, helping a golfer shoot the lowest score they can shoot. It's just something I love to do. It just gives you a sense of great achievement, and then it also makes that guy feel better knowing that he can play better if he has better help. You know, I don't know. look, it's a lot of people when I was was it when I was younger felt that I was probably a good enough player to, you know, probably pursue playing golf or as my father, you know, like I was a dynamite little rugby player and I could have very easily played for the All Blacks, Um, but I just had a fascination for caddying. And it's bewildering to think at my early ages, I don't know why it is because I can't cast my mind exactly back as far as when I was like 12 and 13. Why is it that I just loved caddying? And as a junior, now most kids love to get out in the golf course and play. I couldn't wait to get out there and caddy on the weekends. It was just bizarre. And I, I just, look, it's, I've had a fascination with cadding, um, as strong a fascination with caddying as probably anybody's ever had, I think.
0: Now, for some of our American listeners, they might not realize what a big deal that rugby is in New Zealand. You were a pretty handy rugby player growing up as a teenager. You, you could have pursued professional rugby. You were a handy golfer, like you mentioned. You, you probably could have pursued a, a touring golf career. And I can only imagine the angst that your dad went through knowing that there's a potential that Steve could become an all-black, but he wants to caddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look. I mean, I, I, you know,
1: I, I, I was, you know, very at my age. I played for the what we call the New Zealand Junior All Blacks here. I mean, I was only twelve years of age when I played for that team. I was the youngest kid on the team. Now, I, I loved rugby, you know, and, and physically, I was a bit bigger than most kids of my own age in that. But um, this this fascination with caddy look, like I said to this day, I can't answer exactly why because I was too young to know. But um, caring for members at the golf course and seeing those members squabble over who, you know, who was going to have Steve carry for him. Of course, that made the price <laughs> go up. I mean, I just loved it. <laughs>
0: hey, what would you say to that 12 year old Steve Williams? Just something like, enjoy the ride? Yeah, uh,
1: I would say enjoy the ride, but you know, you should have first your schooling off. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, well, Tiger didn't either, he didn't finish college yet.
1: Yeah, no, My son brings it up every day. We, it's, it's quite interesting. I had the same conversation with my parents every Sunday evening about that, you know, you will finish school and you will go to university. And then I said, well, I'm not. Oh, that's not what's happening. And it's it's lo and behold here, 50 years later, we sit with my own son and we have the same conversation. <laughs> and it's very hard for me to put my foot down.
0: <laughs> He's got all these YouTube highlights as evidence. yeah yeah, yeah, i can't deny it see dad you don't need a school degree that's awesome (laughs) well steve i I really appreciated you sitting down with me for these 13 episodes because i I just feel like we we needed to get a body of work out there that sort of encapsulates not only how great tiger woods was and is but also the contributing performance that you played along the way so thanks thanks so much for doing this series with me
1: yeah like it's been a great pleasure to to relive all these moments and, and i hope all the viewers um enjoy the show and and they can take away something from the show that maybe even help them with their golf game or or something in life or whatever it may be but um you know golf's a great game and and it's something that i've been fortunate to be involved with for 40 years and look this has been a great highlight and it's brought back a lot of great memories so thanks for having us on it
0: you too steve thanks for joining me on this series of chasing majors